Now listen, this morning we will be talking about impressionable prayer. Uh, and as we do so, would you turn to the passages that was just read? In Matthew chapter 6, we'll be in verse 5 down through verse 15 today as we talk about prayer. Um, and and we, we know over and over in Scripture that there's this repetition. We read it in holy, holy, holy in, in Revelation. We, we see over and over that, that these things that God says, I tell you, if you have ear, let them hear, listen close. And so today, I don't want this passage to stop reading ringing in your ears. Our, our hope and our heart is that as we read this and read this and read this, that it's not the formula that falls into your heart and to your ears, but instead it's underneath, it's that undergirding of it. You see, because the, the idea of impression is a big deal today. I was reading an article the other day talking about the impression because this is what our world says. If you make an impression, you're somebody. If you get so many likes on YouTube, you're somebody. If so many people watch this, you're somebody. I was reading an article about our, our news agencies and media right now because our TV shows that were syndicated, they're, they're running out of, of shows. The ones that are pre-scripted are running out of, of stuff. And so the news media has become the go-to. I was reading this. This was amazing that um, some news medias, the, the smaller national ones, are up 56% in viewership, but others are up 193% in viewership. Uh, and one of the, the lead, the CEOs of, of a news organization said, don't stop covering what you're covering because people want more. And I, and I thought, isn't that amazing is that our whole society, whether it's our news organizations, whether it's our media, our industries of, of movies and theater, e even if it's our personal life in, in Facebooks and social media, that we build it around making an impression. And the bigger of an impression we get, the louder the applause of men. And so have you ever found yourself tailoring your impression? Have you ever found yourself tweaking your impression? Have you ever used a filter on Facebook that erased some of the wrinkles on your face? I'm not just saying, asking for a friend, right? Have you ever thought about tweaking who you are so that you would make a better impression? That's all the way through. That's what our world is built upon. It's amazing on the impression that someone makes how we judge them or how we think we're going to be judged. And sometimes I think we believe that our relationship with God and our spiritual walk is the same way. We, we find ourselves wondering if we should be making a better impression on God. Well, I want you to hear what Jesus said about that. Don't look to me. You just heard it twice. This is going to be the third time. We're going to read just the beginning of it in your Bible. This is what it says in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Church, here's what I want you to understand, is that prayer is not about making an impression. 
And this may be completely different than anything you've ever thought about before. But that's not what prayer is about. It's not about making an impression on others. I I, I don't know if you've been in this kind of circumstance where you've seen someone going and taking the public spot and, and praying this loud, verbose prayer. And you thought, you know what, I can't pray like that, so therefore I I don't know how to pray. Have you ever been made small by the the fluidity, the beautiful language, the words, the, the biblical terminology that someone uses in prayer? You see, what the Lord tells us is that prayer is not about you performing for people. That's not what prayer is about. Uh, when, when you or, or someone prays, even in public or on stage, if your audience are the people around you so that they would come up and say, wow, that was good, or maybe the opposite, so that you would pray in such a way so they wouldn't think negatively of you. What Jesus says is, you're, you're trying to make an impression. Stop. That's not what prayer is about. That's not, that's not why we do prayer. But, but then others think, well, I obviously know that prayer isn't about impressing my friends or impressing other people. That's something that only people who are a little bit um, less uh, understanding or spiritual know. Maybe you think it's really about impressing God. Jesus addresses that too. He says, don't impress God. This isn't, this isn't some contest where you're trying to put layers and layers of makeup on so that the camera angle is right so that God will notice you. I mean, isn't that a relief? See, here's what the Greeks did. Their job or their idea wasn't to impress their false gods with their terminology. When it says that they're empty words and they're babblings, what it really means is this, is that in the Greek and Roman culture, you tried to annoy your God until they submitted to you. That was it. So you prayed so long so that they would get tired of listening and they might respond. Now, here's the the process. We know with toddlers that that may affect a few of us as parents. Like your patience runs out, finally you're giving in. You're throwing popcorn to them or whatever, don't care what time it is, because they have, they have called out to you so much that you are now annoyed and you're fine. You're just broken. The Lord doesn't get broken by our constant babbling. If we're just going after him to try to get him to cave, what Jesus says is, stop. You're not trying to make an impression on him so that he'll submit or notice you. You're not trying to give him beautiful language to where you can quote everything so that he'll recognize you. Why? Because prayer is not about making an impression. You can't do it. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and said, if you're ever stuck in figuring out what to pray, Just open up God's word. Open up a psalm and read it to him. Pray it back to him. Whose words are the most beautiful words in the world? Ones that you could conceive of or the ones that God has already written? His word is better. It's more beautiful. So if you're stuck, you don't have to impress him. You can share back his word to him because it's not about what you say. That's not the starting point. Now, this is a little bit weird. You may have seen this in your lifetime. These four words, we've used this, I can't tell you how many times. This is a great formula for prayer. 
we call it acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. That's this, this idea that my prayer needs to make sure that I adore God. My prayer needs to make sure that it includes confession, anything that's between me and God. My prayer needs to thank God for who he is and what he's done. And my prayer needs to make requests of God. And this is amazingly biblical. There's nothing that's incorrect about that. It is incredible formula. The problem is, is that if you and I don't look below that idea, or below those concepts, we might be deceived or deceive ourselves into thinking that as long as we can check these boxes, right? As long as we can do that, then we'll make sense. The problem is it doesn't. That's not what God wants. And so today, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer in a different way. Not pretending that this shouldn't be a part of prayer, but we're just going to look at what Jesus said about you and I as he makes an impression on us. You see, because that's what prayer is really grounded on, the impression that Christ has made on our life. Now, now read that with me, verse 9. But I want you to think, it's not about me showing off to God. It's about God hearing what he's done to my life. Verse 9, it says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Before this point, it wasn't normal to call God Father. Here, Jesus, the Son of God, saying if we are his followers, if we are inheriting, inheriting his, his Father's land, if we are brothers through his life, that you and I can call out to our Father. But how do we call out to our Father? The Bible says very clearly, do it in a way that is humble before a Father that you love. That's the idea. That's the picture of prayer. In, in the middle of all of this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's this mixture of deep, intimate love and the holiness of God that sets him apart from everyone. You know, I, I've been through my life with my dad, and I can tell you in my life, there were times where I loved him as a father, and there were times that, that I set him apart as different, but I didn't always push those together. This close, holy love is something that lays the foundation of our relationship with God. Because if I don't respect God and I approach him as father, I come to him with arrogance. I come to him with pride. I was reading in Daniel chapter, uh, Daniel today, and, and Nebuchadnezzar uh, was, was going against the Lord. And the Lord brings his word and he says, listen, because pride has risen up in your heart, I'm going to take you down. If you look through Scripture, it's the pride rising up because pride causes you and I to approach God in a way that does not treat him as holy. It treats him as flippant. It doesn't care what his, his timetable is. It doesn't care what his heart is. It doesn't care what his direction is. All it's looking for is your father to stamp off on your timetable, on your plans. And no matter what you play, whether it includes adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, if it is not built on the humility of a child who knows their father loves them, of a child who has been adopted and accepted in, of a child who approaches their father and knows we do not stand on equal ground. You are holy. If, if it doesn't have that foundation, then you're trying to make an impression and you're wasting your breath. So God says, so when you pray, 
come to me in a humble way, knowing I am your father, knowing that I love you. Jesus reminds us that a father knows how to give good gifts. Jesus reminds us that everything that is good comes down from the father of lights. Over and over and over, Jesus says, your father loves you. And he loves you so much, he gave his only son for you. So when you pray, Jesus says, make sure that your foundation is resting upon humility. Not pride, humility. Not, not overly self-centered and self-focused. Humility because of who he is. But then come to him with confidence. Listen to what verse 10 says as it goes a little bit further. This is what the Bible says. It says this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, in the middle of this prayer, Jesus says, not only is your life focused on being humble, is that part of our foundation? When we pray, we must be humble. But we also have to come to him with this idea that you and I submit to him. That, that we find ourselves coming to him as a father, trusting him, but everything we ask for falls under his plan, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed is their name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. It's pulling those two worlds together in anticipation. It's not saying, God, whatever you want, I'm in. It's not like you making one child apologize to the other child. Have you ever had this happen? Tell your sister you're sorry. And then you hear this wonderfully beautiful tone, right? Have you ever heard it? Say it with me. I'm sorry. You're like, no, you're still grounded. Go to your room. All of a sudden, your child is offended. Why? Because submission without anticipation is not what God's calling you for. He's not looking for your sacrifices of, of incense. He's not looking for your, your tithes and offerings built upon the fear of him, so to speak. He's not looking for you just to be obedient. He's calling you to submit because you know his kingdom. You know that his glory coming and reigning and ruling will change this world and will draw us to our eternity. You are anticipating, salivating over his government instead of our broken worldly government. You are, are hopeful. You are hopeful to experience and to taste God's grace in every moment that precedes the next. You see, that's what submission looks like. As someone told me one time, in a marriage, in a healthy marriage, you never have to submit because you love doing something for the other person. Let me tell you, that's a broken definition of marital love. Because in marriage, when humility girds you, when you're submitting to your wife or your husband, when you find yourself in that relationship, you're submitting all the time to one another. It just doesn't feel like work because you know they have your best interest at heart all the time. That's still submission. Submission doesn't have to look like a broken, simple, dictatorial thing. That's oppression. There's a difference. And so what the Bible says here, Jesus is, when you and I pray to God, 
we come to him submitting. Why? Because joyfully we know his kingdom is better than this kingdom. His world, his life is better than our life. And so therefore, God, let your will be done too. If I'm asking for something and you choose something else, not my will, but yours be done, Christ prayed. If, if I am anticipating or have a picture in mind, but you have a picture that I can't see, I have my faith in the unseen, not in what I see. When you and I pray, it's not about a formula, it's about our heart. It's about our relationship with him. So that you and I would come to him, petitioning him to be himself. Just saying, God, I don't want to think that I am making an impression on you or I am influencing you to give me what you do not want for me. See, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel didn't have a king. They were being ruled by judges. Samuel was the judge at the time. And in the midst of that, the people said, we want a king like everybody else around us. They looked at all the kingdoms around them, all the worldly kingdoms, and said, we want a king. And God said, but I don't want a king for you. They said, but we want a king. He said, but no, that won't be good for you. They said, no, not your will, but ours be done. We want a king. He said, I'll give you a king, and they're going to take your best. They're going to tax your stuff. They're going to rob you, and they're going to own you, and you'll become their servants. And they said, give me a king. And so God gave them the punishment of their request. You and I don't want to ask God for something that's not his will. We don't want him to act in a way that's not in line with him. Why? Because his will works. It's always better. And so we come to him submitting, saying, God, you know my heart when I'm praying over someone with an illness. You know my heart when I'm praying over some job opportunity. You know my heart when I'm struggling over here. But instead of me just telling you what to do, I will lay it out before you because I love you, but I don't want you to act upon my request, I want to act upon your statement. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not a formula, it's a relationship. Humility and submission to a father you know and love and wants the best for you. And then Jesus closes it with this idea, verse 13. Verse 11 through 13. Jesus says this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, Jesus says in this final word, he said the third part that you have to make sure that's there when you're praying is trust. That, that you have to trust that God is going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you for your physical needs, right? The Bible says this, give us today our daily bread. In other words, God, I trust you to take care of me with what I need today. Man, could you imagine waking up the morning with a heart that's trusting God, saying, God, you know my schedule. I'm going to lay it out for you, but you make the opportunities that you want to happen happen because I trust you to give me what I need. I trust you to make sure that we have the things that we need, not all the things that I want, but I trust you because my prayer is based on your will and not mine. I trust you, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The Bible says this, that you and I can trust God spiritually. God is not weighing your good deeds and bad deeds in the balance. Do you know that if your relationship with God, if my relationship with God is based upon balancing scales of good versus bad, it means you don't have to trust God at all? Do you know if God's just keeping a tally, good and bad, that he's totally objective, so to speak? He's just going to say, okay, well, good and bad, it's based all on your word. 
But God says it's not. It's based upon you trusting me. And what Jesus says is, the one who my Father has given into my hand, I will never lose. What Jesus says is, I will never leave or forsake you. What Jesus says, what God has given you, no man can overcome because you are overcomers. In all of this, we are more than conquerors. Why? Because we can trust God with our spiritual life. If you need to be forgiven, if, if you are struggling in sin or walking far from God, you can come to him in humility and submission through the word of Jesus Christ and you can trust him to forgive you fully, to wipe you clean completely. Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. In verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can trust God with your tomorrow. You can trust God to lead you where he calls you to go. We heard that from Jaime. I remember in our early conversations, our conversation was, was about what does God want for me? Where is he leading me? And, and the whole thing lined up around trust. Is do you trust the Lord? Do you believe him? Do you believe that he'll talk to you? Do you believe that his spirit will affirm it with your wife? You can trust God. Church, this morning with your tomorrow, you can trust God. With your this afternoon, you can trust God. He will not lead you into temptation. He will deliver you from evil. Why? Because if you are following behind him, it is just as potent as if that pillar of fire and the cloud is around you, is around the people of God, is around you today. It's just that obvious. So let down your guard and trust the Lord. Stop fighting for what you want. Stop, stop struggling with the Lord to bless your plan or the Lord to give you a picture of what you want to see. When he called Abraham, he said, I'm calling you to a place you've never been and you've never seen, but it's good. Leave. Church, this morning, as you pray, let your foundation be like this. Humility, submission, and trust. Now, Jesus ends his conversation and his word this way. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, frame that for you here. Jesus bookends his prayer with what he started with. If your heart is sincerely focused on the Lord making an impression molding and shaping you in your prayer then your inside needs to line up with your outside you can't come to the Lord in humility and submission and trust and not offer forgiveness you can't do it you can't come to the Lord in submission and humility and trust and not let go of your hurt your anger you, you can't do it he says, listen, he's not giving you a formula. If you check all these forgiveness boxes, then Jesus will check them all. That's not what he's saying. Your relationship with God is based on his faithfulness, not yours. He, all he asks you to do, all he's calling you to do is to be humble before a father who loves you. To submit to the plan of the almighty God who has the best in mind for you. And to trust him with your physical needs, your spiritual needs, and with your tomorrow. Church, that's faith. That's the joy he's calling. It's, it's this stress-free kind of life. It's so crazy. 
How is Jesus the Prince of Peace? Because those who know Him as Savior know His Father as Father. So they don't have to put on a show to impress anyone. Humility can line their garments. They don't have to worry. They don't have to worry about what the next government is going to look like. They don't have to worry about the authorities in their life because they submit to God. And they're calling and they're anticipating and living for His will. We don't have to be anxious about what ifs because we can trust Him. James chapter 1, verse 16 says, Don't doubt when you pray. Don't doubt. There's no reason. Trust Him. Believe in Him. Because He is the one who gives every good gift. So when we come to Him, believe and follow Him. Church, this morning, the Bible says this, James 5, 16. So just confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Why? Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Listen, you can confess to the Lord right now. He is waiting for you. Trust him. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We come to you today knowing and believing your word. Lord, we don't want to be tossed back and forth. We don't want to be moved around. We don't want to live in fear, God. We don't want to live for the audience's applause. And we don't want to, to even pretend to ask you to come down to our level. But instead, God, would you be honored today? Would you be glorified today? Lord, let us not look for formulas, but let us look for a relationship with you. We love you, Jesus, in your name.